This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Today we are looking at the letter to the church in Smyrna. Letter to the church in Smyrna. And I want to start off by saying something that I said last week, but I want to re-emphasize again that Jesus is speaking to these seven churches, but I think it we don't really, we don't process that when this letter was sent out, it wasn't sent out as an individual letter to each church. Like the seven letters were sent to the seven churches. And that's why it says to the churches, because everybody would see what was going on or what the Lord was addressing to the other churches around them. And I think sometimes we don't really, we don't really think of it that way. When I was young, and I know, I know that some of you will make fun of me saying that I'm not that old, but when I was younger... A lot has changed in school nowadays since when I was in school back in the day. And we took a test or we got some results for something. Our teacher or our main homeroom, I think we called them back then, would take those results and they'd post them on the door. And they'd leave them there for a few days. And if you wanted to find out your results, you had to go and look on the door. And not only could you see your results, but you could see Everybody else's results, too. Does anybody else remember that? that? Was that just my school? You could see everybody else's results, too, and it was kind of embarrassing. You didn't want people looking, and we didn't have the privilege of text message messaging back then. We're like, hey, heads up, you failed, bro. You know, we, we just didn't have that opportunity. We, we had phones. We could call each other, but there was landlines and blah, blah, whatever. You know, it's craziness. I had a pager in high school, so that was pretty cool. Call me now. I got your grade. Um... And we've kind, of, we've kind of developed into a society and culture of privacy. And, and what we do on our own time in our own house is our business, and it's not anybody else's business. And nowadays, if you download any kind of software or you want to use anything, you've got you've to agree to a, a, a terms of, of usage or a conditions of usage. And they want to do as much as they can to protect your privacy. And there's a privacy policy included in that most of the time. And sometimes they update privacy policies. But, but here's the reality. Like, you're giving people information about you that, that they have. And stuff happens. Hackers do bad things. And they get your stuff and they publish it for the whole world to see. I remember when one of those questionable websites who had questionable uh, consumers to the website, they got hacked and a bunch of famous rich people's names got plastered all over the internet. These are the, these are the people who are going to this website, you know? And like we have some kind of right or authority, but you know, as Christians, I think that a good rule of thumb, that something that I've found over the years is the more transparent that I can be with people, the more genuine that they see that I am, the more genuine that, that we can have authentic fellowship together 
And, and the, the reality is like, we're all dealing with stuff, you know, like we've all got issues. We've said it before. We've all got problems. We like to save face and act like everything's okay or put on a mask, but, but it's just, it's just easier to just be real, you know, and to say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. And I think if there's a word or something that we can meditate on in going into this look at the church in Smyrna, it's, it's just how can I be an authentic member of a community that I care about deeply? Because that's, that's what my heart and vision is for our church, our fellowship, is that, that we, would, we would be together in authenticity, that it wouldn't, I just, I don't like the fakeness, you know, and, and fake I don't want to say fake people because I like people. It's just like the charade can only be put up for so long until the walls start coming down and you recognize and say, oh, this is the kind of person you are. Yeah, I should have told you up front like, that I'm a loser and these are the things that I struggle with or these are the issues that I have and I, and I want you to know about it so you can help me, so that you can keep me accountable, so that we can grow together, so that we uh, each as individuals and the body of Christ as a whole can be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ because we're all being conformed in his image. And anybody that's closer to Jesus than I am, they're still not going to be Jesus. There's still going to be a process that they go through. And I don't know exactly how the other churches responded by seeing the, the good and bad news that Jesus had to say to certain of the churches. I don't know how they responded. You know, if they laughed, if they made fun of them. <laughs> you guys have the throne of Satan in here, town. You better watch out. Probably not. But I believe that, you know, in a, in a kind of culture of genuine authenticity that, that people have compassion on one another because of it. When, when you start to break pride down, there's like an openness and opportunity for growth. Is this making sense for you guys like it does for me? Instead of allowing society and our culture to, to tell us that, that we have these rights or privileges that maybe we do have or whatever, you know, but... But what's a better representation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What's a better representation? And I think for me, it's just, it's genuineness. It's like, this is it. You, what you see is what you get. And to be able to meet other people where they're at. I was just talking to somebody um, not too long ago, a week or so ago, and, and I could tell that there, there were... They were struggling with something, and like I mentioned this morning, God's given me kind of, if, if I can say, be so bold to say, he's got, kind of given me like a gift with people of discernment to where I can see when, I, you know, I can see somebody coming and see something's wrong, and, and like my heart as a pastor is just to come alongside them and encourage them, like, are you okay? What's wrong? You know, what's going on? I could tell something's wrong, you know, so I, so this happens kind of regularly, and, and I saw this person, I said, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Are you... Uh, no, not really. And then, and then um, they were able and willing to share some stuff that they were going through, which was really encouraging for me because at first they were really hesitant. And I'm just like, listen, nothing that you've done is going to impress me adversely. <laughs> like, I'm not going to think anything, to, like whatever it is, I don't care what it is, like you, like the things that I have heard, <laughs> it's not going to move me in my opinion or estimation of you. You're a person, you are loved by God. He wants to love you and care for you. And one of the first steps of fullness of fellowship with him and with your brothers and sisters 
just being honest and saying, this is it. This is it. So all that to say, the church in Smyrna is one of only two churches, only two churches out of the seven, where Jesus doesn't have anything bad to say about them. Nothing. In fact, the church in Smyrna and the letter to Smyrna is the shortest letter to the churches. The shortest. Very, very concise, very quick. And I want to look at why that is. Let's look by... Um, Let's start off by, by going through it and then going back and then working our way slowly, okay? Does that make sense? So, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. We know this is from the introduction as well. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So very clearly, it's concise, it's to the point, it's encouraging. He has nothing bad to say to them. And, and we see, I believe we see the reason, the purpose that the letter to Smyrna is so short. Why? Is because they were a church that was troubled. They were a church that was persecuted. They were a church that was going through a terrible time to the point where some of them are being thrown into prison. There's a, there's a prophecy given of preparedness that there's going to be 10 days, whether it's in 10 days or for 10 days, we're not really too sure, but there's going to be a period where the persecution is going to escalate. And not only is the persecution going to escalate, but Jesus's word to the church is be faithful even until death. What does that mean? It means the persecution is so bad that there's going to be uh, martyrs because of it. Historically speaking, we know that there were martyrs in the church of Smyrna during this time. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of why it was so difficult in Smyrna. But, the, but again, the, the purpose of bringing this up is it's very short. It's to the point. And why? 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 Because when you're going through a devastatingly difficult time in your life, you don't need a chatty Cathy to sit down and talk to you. You don't need somebody just pouring out all this information, reminding you of all your things. You just need, you need somebody to have few words to be able to listen, to, to speak few words, and those few words to be in truth. And that's it. That's it. I remember one time I, I got a call for a hospital visit. It was a younger gal who was in the hospital with some issues that they didn't know what the problem was. And they said, we need you to come down as soon as possible. So I went down to see them and, and I see her and, and she's struggling and she's crying. And she said, I think I'm going to die. And I'm like, just stop, like, stop, stop freaking out. It's not going to help anything. You're not going to die. And she started weeping and she said, she said, I just don't know what my kids are going to do without me. And it was like, it was like by the grace of God, and I felt bad afterwards, I just couldn't 
hold, I just couldn't hold it in. Like, you know those things, the times, I don't know if, if you've ever experienced, but you just like, it just rolls off the end of your tongue and kind of in, 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 a, in a firm tone to a woman in a hospital bed feeling like she was going to die. I said to her, and you don't trust the Lord enough to take care of your kids if you do. That's what I said to her. You don't trust the Lord to be able, listen, this is not a problem for God. It should not be a problem for you. And whatever happens to you, if you have faith and genuine trust in God, he is going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your family. And you cannot be selfish in this kind of situation. And she shut right up. I got to pray with her and I walked away and I thought to myself, you are the biggest jerk on planet earth. And I could not believe that I said that. A lot of time goes by and I was talking. She was fine. It was a weird episode. And I was talking to her and she said, you know what? I still remember the day that you came and visited me in the hospital and how much what you said meant to me. Like I didn't say much. It was very little, but it, it was very firm and it was truth. God is in control. God is going to take care of us. There's no reason to worry about the, the, the little things, the variables, because in the big, this big picture stuff keeps coming back, right? In the big picture, man, does he love you? Does he love you? He loves you. So he doesn't have a lot of things to say to Smyrna. He doesn't have anything bad to say. Think about Job's friends. How many chapters is the book of Job? Does anybody know off the top, off the top of their head? How many? 42? I can't remember. 40-something. It's a lot. Too many for me to remember. 40-something. And the majority of it is him and his friends going back and forth about why all these bad things are happening to him. To the point where his wife even chimes and says, you know what, Job? I got a good idea. How about you curse God and die? Just give up. Back and forth and back and forth. We don't need Job's friends to be the people that are talking our ear off when we're going through our, our most difficult trials. We just need the comfort of God. We need the word of Jesus. And, and listen, what I want, and I, I don't know what you want, but I just want to know the truth. I just want to know the truth. God, what is the truth in this situation? This is what Jesus says. This is the truth, guys. Persecution's bad. It's going to get worse. Some of you are going to die. Be faithful. That's heavy. Don't you guys think that's heavy? I think that's heavy. And he's not like, oh, I feel so bad for you guys. I'm going to try to make you feel better. And I'm going to pray for you because Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And I hope that not many of you die. Why? Why doesn't, God, why doesn't Jesus do that? Because there's something grander. There's something grander. Now let's look back at the beginning and then we'll work through a little bit more slowly. And the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came back to life. These are from the introduction in chapter 1, and each one of the churches have an intro that takes some of Jesus' characteristics and expresses them to the church before the message is given to kind of give them uh, a preview of the Jesus that's talking to them. Don't you love that? I love that. 
It's a preview of the heart of God, the heart of Jesus in, in what the message he has for them. And, and what's the message? What's the heart of the message for the church in, in Smyrna? This is coming from him who is the first and the last, sovereign over everything. That's the thing that we question first, I believe. One of the first things that we question first when we go into severe, difficult trial is the sovereignty of God. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, but does God know? God knows this is happening to me and he's still allowing it. He knows it's happening to you. He knows. And he wants to be that strength in weakness, I prayed three times that the Lord would remove this thorn of the flesh. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He says, I am the first and I am the last. I am sovereign over this whole situation. I am sovereign over you as a church. I am sovereign over this city. I'm number one and the last. Alpha and the omega who was dead and came to life. What better encouragement could you get from somebody in this kind of situation than, yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, you're going to be persecuted worse. Yes, some of you are probably going to die. But I'm the one that died and came back to life. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, a month or two ago, we talked in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, going through our resurrection series, um, we talked about how the authority over the world, like the ultimate authority over mankind right now is death. It's really what revolves, our, our lives revolve around. How old are we? Illness, sickness, whatever the case may be, you know, it, we, we do things, we make decisions, and we do things based on if we will die or not. There's an authority there. It means that, that it, it is over us. We're in Austria on the missions trip this summer to Croatia, stopped to see some friends in Austria, and there's this absolutely gorgeous, these, these Austrian Alps, some of the most breathtaking, beautiful mountains in all the world. I love it. And what we did is we took this, this cable car from the bottom of the mountain, and it's pretty sheer. We took it almost like straight up to the top. And then these Austrian engineers are incredible. Once you get to the top, you can hike up a little bit more, and there's these cable cars networked all over inside the Alps. And you can go as deep as you want, wherever you want. So we were looking. It was beautiful. We were meditating on the trip and talking about stuff. We went back to the cable car. And as we were getting in, there was this Austrian couple who, one of the things that's popular to do in this region is to paraglide. So these gusts of wind, they come up uh, because the mountain is so sheer. They come up and they, they lift you. And what they do is they get these parachutes and they stand on the edge. And then they kind of just, they don't even jump because it's like a slope, like hills of music. You guys know? Sound of music? Oh, yeah. The hills are alive with the sound of music. So you're standing on this grassy hillside and you kind of wait for the wind and you kind of just sit down and it just, it just picks you up and it takes you up in the air. And these people, they're crazy. They were like going super high in the air. And there's over the valley, there's a lot of 
little parachutes people and you can kind of control them and steer them and they're going around and you can find bigger gusts that take you higher. And, and I've always been fascinated. When I lived there, I used to watch them and I was always fascinated. I was like, man, that would be incredible. No motors, no propellers, no nothing, just, just, a, just a, 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 a thin piece of material carrying you up into the heavens. And so I saw these people getting ready, and I, and I went up to talk to them. I'm like, hey, you guys speak English? Yeah. So I'm talking with them. That is so cool. How long have you been doing it? Do you like it? Just, you know, talking to them, getting to know them a little bit, maybe able to possibly share with them a little bit that we're waiting for some of the group to come down. And I was like, man, I, you know, I would love to do that sometime. And, and they were very friendly, talking back and forth. So the rest of our group came, and, and we... we uh, we were getting ready to get back on the cable car to go back down to the bottom of the mountain. And the guy starts yelling. He's like, hey, hey, come here. I'm like, yeah, hey, what's up? He's like, hey, uh, we actually have harnesses so that uh, you can come up with us. So I'll strap you to myself and we'll both go up in the air and I'll take you around and then tell your group. We've got two, so two of your people can come. And, and we'll take you around and then we'll land and then they can come get you in the van. And I was like, you got to be flipping crazy. You got to be nuts. You think I'm going up in the air with you? I don't even know you, pal. No, but it, it, it really, it crossed my mind. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This would be really sensational. And I asked everybody else, hey, does anybody else want to do it? And they're like, no, we don't want to do it. And I'm like, man, there was, there was a little bit of desire. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, man, I really want to do this. This is crazy. But, you know, I'm starting to think of ex excuses. Well, you know, like I'm the van driver. Nobody else is on the rental van contract. And, uh, oh, man, I want it. Yeah, I just I couldn't bite the bullet, so I didn't do it. Our decisions are made based on an authority. And the authority of death helps us make decisions that otherwise, you know, wouldn't be so hard to make. But we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 with the resurrection that death no longer has any authority over us. Death has no authority. So the talk of death or to think of death or even this persecution, like Jesus is saying it so, so simply and so directly. It's like, it's like we, we, we sh you guys shouldn't have anything to worry about it. He's almost like nonchalant. Yeah, you guys are going to get tough. I understand. It's going to get tougher. By the way, some of you are going to die. All right, see you guys later. <laughs> but isn't that what our perspective should be? It's like, You're alive now unto eternity. You're alive and there's no authority over you to, to make you fear or to take away God's goodness or rob you of God's peace and his goodness in your life. There's no authority over you anymore. And there shouldn't be whatsoever. I know that that's hard to wrap our minds around, but, but that's really the heart of faith in God and, and an understanding of the resurrection of our bodies. And there's a part of this that Jesus can be real with them, can be raw, because it is going to get hard, and he doesn't have much to say, but you know what? We'll get to the exhortation in a second. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then we start to live our lives differently because of it, right? Things don't affect us the way that they affected us before. When I was a young Christian, very young believer, I 
was reading a lot, and my mom thought it would be nice to get me a book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You guys ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Don't read Fox's Book of Martyrs as a baby Christian. Maybe, you, maybe you're just more advanced than me. That's fine. That's good. I want you to if you can do it. But as a young Christian, I'm reading through this, and I'm really starting to get tripped out. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Lord, I love you, <laughs> but I don't want to die. I don't want, I'm not ready yet. You know, like I see these people laying down their lives for you and, and I get it. I get it, but I'm young. You know, I, I'm going to get married and have kids, going to live a little bit. You know, I can't be, I can't be up and dying. So if, if this is something that you would require of me, it's going to be difficult for me. But then later, I can't remember exactly at what point, but later I got to a place where, where I was okay. I think that I have a, a, a specific time. Um, I was going to Europe to go to college, and there's a lady who's a friend of my mom's, and they had been friends for a long time, many years. Uh, we grew up together with her girls and, and the three, four of us in my family. And she... Um, she's a little different. Let's just put it that way. She's a professing believer, but she's, she's strange. And some of her theology is definitely off base. So she had been spending time doing a 40-day fast. So she wasn't eating anything solid for 40 days. She was only drinking liquids, which is fine. I think that's great. That's not off base. It's just... It's a challenge, you know. Uh, it just it gave her spiritual credibility in what she wanted to share with me. So she's toward the end of this 40-day fast, and she comes to me, and she calls my mom and says, I have to talk to Tim. And, and she comes to me, and she says, hey, Tim, I've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and I'm getting to the end, and I was praying for you, and your mom told me you're going over to Europe, and I was seeking God for you. And then I got this vision, and it was very vivid. I saw in this vision that you were in like a compound area, like almost like it was a school or something. You're in this area, and, and um, these people came in from outside, and they massacred everybody in the building. And I saw the whole thing. I saw you. I saw the bloodshed. I saw everything happen before my visionary eyes. And um, I'm calling to tell you, to warn you, that God told me that if you go to Europe, it's in direct disobedience to him and his will, and you will pay with your life. And I said, that's very interesting because, number one, God is the one that told me to go very clearly. So something's amiss. Number two, the God that you described is not the God that I know and serve. That's not the God that I know, you know. He's not like that. He gives warnings and stuff like that. And like I would, I should, I should hope that I would have some kind of relationship with him that, that he'd let me know that I was being disobedient, you know? And I was at work the next day. I'm leaving like that weekend. I haven't got my passport yet. Haven't got my plane tickets yet. My passport arrived on Saturday. I got my plane tickets 
and f- my, my job ended. I was laid off. I didn't even have to quit. I was laid off. I was in the Teamsters Union dr- driving a truck, laid off on Friday, got my passport in the mail on Saturday, and bought tickets and flew to Paris on Sunday like that. Boom, boom, boom. Pretty, it was, the timing was perfect. The Lord knew it was. So I'm sitting in my truck and I'm praying. I'm like, God, why would she say that? And at first it didn't bother me, but then it started to bother me. And I'm like, what, what's going on? What is this all about? And, and God gave me a verse in the Bible in Acts when Paul's traveling around to the churches and he's going to Jerusalem and the prophet Agabus comes to him and says, Paul, you cannot go to Jerusalem. And he takes the belt, his belt off, and he binds Paul's, or he binds his hands and feet, rather, and says, the Holy Spirit testifies that this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. And they're weeping. And they're saying, don't go, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul responds and says, not only am I willing to go to Jerusalem, but I am willing to go and to die in the name of Jesus Christ. I know what's ahead of me. I know that I have to go. Thank you for the warning, just like Jesus warned this persecuted church in Smyrna. Thank you for the warning. I know what to expect. But even if I die in Jerusalem, I'm going. This was the verse like that God said, turn to this chapter and verse that that God gave me when I was praying about what to do. And, And at that moment, I thought, Even if I go and die, at least I know that it was what God's will was for me. Like I've received confirmation. I know what he wants me to do and I'm gonna be bold and step out. So I went and I thought, you know, it was a milestone for me in my faith and my walk with the Lord. And and I I would say, even if I have to go and die, at least it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that authority had been taken away. That authority of death that loomed over me had been taken away. And I got to live in a new level of peace and security in the Lord that I'd never experienced before. And I am really, I've experienced a lot of things in, in my life and in my walk with the Lord. And, and I, I hope that you guys understand this and see this. I'm not the kind of person who walks with the Lord and I'm not the kind of pastor that wants to make you feel guilty for the Christians who are perishing in Smyrna or the Christians who are perishing in China or Russia or Georgia or Iran, or wherever. I mean, it's bad. It's terrible. But we as Christians do not filter the difficulties that other people are going through. We do not filter their difficulties through an authority of death over us. They are being released. And I know, I apologize, I know that that can sound a little um, heartless. But I don't think it is. If I had the opportunity to help, would I help? Absolutely. Is there anything that I can do? Absolutely. We have a sister in our congregation that prays for the persecuted church. She has a group that gets together to specifically pray for the persecuted church. Should we pray for the persecuted church? 100%. I want to pray for them as well. I don't want them to suffer what they're going through. Absolutely not. But if we, if we pray to God for the persecuted church, that those who, who are he destined to come meet with him sooner than he destined me to go meet with him, I have to pray for them through the filter of 
the absolute authority over me and everybody else is God. The first and the last. He who was killed, he who died and rose from the dead. Does that make sense? Is this not, is that not too heavy for you guys? It doesn't, it doesn't, big picture things, it, it doesn't matter. Like God is good and, and how can we be part, God, of your kingdom coming? Through this persecution, how can you, God, to the persecuted church right now in China, how can your strength be made perfect in weakness? Do we pray that? I don't know. I, I should. God, perfect your strength in these believers' weakness that, that they're losing their lives, but your testimony is strong. I was just talking to somebody uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a Chinese missionary. She's a girl who's from America that works in the film industry in China, and she's a missionary. So she's in Vegas right now doing a film with a Chinese company working with all Chinese people to try to preach the gospel. She said the church that she goes to in China, I'm trying to remember the city that she's from, she said is one of the most incredible, amazing churches that she's ever been a part of. And it's, um, it's thousands of people, thousands of people. They say the underground church is in the millions. They say the church in China is growing faster than any church or than, than any movement of God, the Spirit of God, anywhere in the world. We're going to look at some interesting things with Smyrna that are coming up that, it, that it's also kind of like a little, a little light bulb moment for us, I think, as believers. Instead of trying to, to push off or push against the things that we struggle with, I think Jesus is teaching them to, to embrace and be prepared and ready but, but the, the end game is not the, the authority of death that's over them. That's not the end game. The end game is much greater than that. He says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. That's the next thing he says. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. Everybody needs somebody to identify with them. It's called empathy. When you know what other people are going through, you, you understand the difficulty that, that they're facing because you've been through it or you just want to meet them where they're at. I think that there's the most powerful words that Jesus could speak to this church after he introduces them to who he is in the intro. The most powerful words are these. He says, I know. I know. I understand. 1 Corinthians is the verse that says, comfort others, church, comfort others with the comfort that you received from the Holy Spirit. You went through a difficulty, you went through a challenge, you went through a trial, you struggled, the Holy Spirit met you and comforted you through that experience, through that miscarriage, through you know, the, the losing of the job, through that divorce, through whatever it is, the, the Holy Spirit comforted you. Now you take that comfort that the Holy Spirit used to come, and you take some, find somebody else that's going through and say, I know what you're going through. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know that you're trying. I know your tribulation. I know what your struggles are. And who better to say that they can identify with what you're going through than Jesus? Jesus says, trust me, I know what you guys are going through. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He said, you want to talk about poverty? 
I'm trying to tell people, go catch fish so we can look for coins in their mouths. I'll tell you about poverty. Jesus was a simple man. He didn't need wealth or money to have any kind of status or power over people. And he demonstrated that powerfully. And the richness, the richness that Jesus brought to the people was more of more value than any amount of gold or silver in the world, right? And he says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. But you're rich. Big K, big kingdom, God's kingdom. He says, everybody else looks at the outside. I look at what's on the inside. I'm looking for true depth in people, I'm developing true character in people. And though it may seem on the outside that you're poor, you are what I'm going to show the world what true wealth looks like. To another church, spoiler alert, he's going to talk about how on the outside they look rich, but inside they're naked, miserable, sniveling, and poor. (laughs) So from the outside, you guys look like you got everything together, but you don't. You're not alive, you're dead. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, the relationship between Christians and Jews has always been a tumultuous one. Through history, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes uh, Jews had, had understood and identified with what Christians were, who they were. Sometimes there was a big pushback. There was kind of a unity that happened during the Second World War and other times throughout history. So our relationships fluctuated. But we know that in the city of Smyrna, there was a large uh, Jewish congregation or a Jewish congregation that, that the Christians and them, maybe at this point they, they, they didn't get along on a large scale, but, but there shouldn't have been the kind of stuff that was happening back in the homeland, you know, where they were hunting down Christians and stuff. There, there could be some kind of level of understanding or whatnot. But here, Jesus is talking specifically about these Jews um, that, that um, are not really Jews at all. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. Jesus talks about it, you know. You're not a Jew just because you're a Jew outwardly. That's not what makes you a Jew. You're a Jew who, who's a Jew inwardly. And historically speaking, we know that the church in Smyrna, the heaviest part of the persecution came from the Jewish synagogue, the Jewish fellowship that was there, but also because the Smyrna, uh, the the people in Smyrna were such big supporters of Rome that there was a huge Roman influence and there was a huge uh, persecution from the, from the Jews inside, which is what, what kind of paints the picture for us of, of what's happening. I don't think I was super clear with that, but I'll try to explain a little bit better when it comes to the history part of what's going on in Smyrna. So Jesus is saying, you know, those people who identify themselves as Jews, uh, I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They, they're not gathering together to worship and serve God, the creator. They're, they're being influenced by somebody else. 
um, worker of iniquity, other, some other words that you can translate that from, from the Greek into not, not necessarily Satan, but, but the bad guys, you know, Satan and his followers or his, his, his people, whatever you want to call them. So he says, I understand, and I know that they're blaspheming. They're not Jews. They're, they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're, you are about to suffer. Now, that's one of those strong, emphatic words that we have to kind of grab onto. Again, where's, what's the authority over you? What's the authority? When Jesus says to you, don't fear the things that you're about to suffer, the, the, the true way that you can have an absence of fear, what, what drives out fear? Love. Perfect love drives out fear. So if you know Jesus says, I love you perfectly, you are going to suffer, you're about to suffer, but, but don't fear because I love you. Then you understand that whatever you're gonna go through, God's love for you is greater than the fear that the enemy wants to bring in to get you down or to quit or to give up. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. What does the Bible say is the purpose for our testing? You guys remember? Don't be surprised at the various trials, uh, tests that you're going through for it produces the, uh, don't be surprised by the various trials that you, that you go through because um, it proves the genuineness of your faith. So we talked about that a little bit, I think, last week. But to prove the genuineness of your faith maybe isn't not so much for God because God sees the genuineness of your faith. That's why you go into tests and trials. Maybe part of it's for you so that you can see the genuineness of your faith. I hope so. And I think that that's part of what that verse is talking about. But I think to the greater degree, God is using the testing of his saints, kind of like in the Job scenario, to show others what genuine faith looks like. Man, these people, they really believe in this Jesus. This isn't a joke. You've heard people say, you know, if, if Christianity's a myth, how did he get all these whack job people on board to give their life for something they believed in? You know, if, if it was a myth and they came up with this story, who's willing to die for a story? Like, it's not a big deal. You know, I'll die because I, I just want, I want to make a new world religion. No, it's not going to happen. The devil's about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, that you will, uh, you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. A, a few facts about Smyrna that's important for us historically to understand what's happening with the church right now. Smyrna is the second, second, third largest port city in the area at that time. Port cities were very important. It's how they did trade. It's how they, they did movement. They, they, they went around. And, and Smyrna was second to, at that time, the first, what was the biggest? You guys were here last week? Ephesus was the largest port. where every, It was like the, the, the main hub to where everybody would go, and then they'd go out uh, from there. Well, Smyrna was the second largest. And, and the funny thing is that Ephesus had a warning from Jesus that if they didn't correct themselves and get things together, if they didn't repent and return to their first works because they'd lost their first love, what was Jesus going to do to them? 
He was going to remove their lampstand. He said, I, I don't really want you representing me, so I'm going to remove your lampstand. And, and the interesting thing is that the silt problem in Ephesus was so bad that they had to keep trying to remove the silt that was coming in, and, and they couldn't keep up with it. It was too much of a task. And the land started going further and further out from the city, further from the city, to the point where it cut off the ability for them to be a port city anymore. Today, you would travel by land 20 miles from where the sea is to where Ephesus is. And there's no longer a city there at all. It's like they were cut off. Smyrna is the only church of the seven churches that is still in existence today. All of the other churches, all of the other cities are no longer there. But Smyrna is still there. And, and I wanted to emphasize that to look at this. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, this crown of life could be a crown, but it also could be... Um, a garland. And they had these famous games in Smyrna. The athletes would wear these garlands. And it wasn't really, the, the value wasn't so much in, in the garland or the crown itself. The value was in the recognition and, and the, the, what they had accomplished. And Jesus says, I will give you this crown of life. Smyrna, on a, there was a mountain. I, I, I'm, I'm bad with names. So there's a mountain in Smyrna called Pagus, Mount Pagus, and it was over Smyrna. And it had an outcropping of buildings that at the top of it, and it made it look like the mountain had a crown. And literally, historically speaking, it was called the crown of Smyrna or the, or the garland of Smyrna. And, and Jesus is speaking to these people who are looking up at the authority that's oppressing them and over them. And he's saying to them, you know, there, there's no crown of Smyrna I am going to crown you, and that is going to be my representation of myself to the whole world upon you. And what is it the crown of? Life. It's the crown of life, which, again, I don't want to read too much into it. Obviously, this is historical. This, this is true. These promises were to the church in Revelation, and they, they were to... Uh, individuals in the church and the other churches as well. They, that Jesus wants them to learn from these things that they're going through. But here we have a literal fulfillment of the, the, the word of God is so literal that you have a literal fulfillment to a city uh, and a church that he was writing to that still exists today. It was about 200,000 people then. It's about 200,000 people now. That's incredible. It's pretty incredible, especially for port cities. And then the one church that he warned and said, listen, you guys have to be careful. They were cut off from their wealth, really, because the shipping industry was no longer sustainable there. And then which city became the new main port city? Smyrna. It's going to be tough for a little bit, you guys. It's going to be hard. You're going to be persecuted. I know what you're going through. It's okay. And when we go through seasons in life... And when we go through suffering, we have to remember that the things that are happening to us are only temporary. Temporary in the eternal sense and temporary in the practical now sense. 
This isn't going to last forever, even if you think it's going to. It's not. And Jesus knows what you're going to going through. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The reason that the Christians were so persecuted in, in Smyrna was that they had a heavy Roman influence, a Roman favoritism before it was Roman. And they also had these Jews from the inside who were really giving them a hard time. Smyrna, interestingly enough, was the second city of the entire area outside of the Roman provinces that erected a statue to the deity of Caesar and worshipped Caesar as divine. So you can see where the persecution comes from. Polycarp, if you know early church father history, Polycarp was the bishop over the church in Smyrna, and he was martyred. And the reason that he was martyred was he was instructed to acknowledge Caesar, Tiberius, as the Lord, you know, capital L-O-R-D, as the Lord, and he refused to do it. They made a big wooden pile, a pile full of wood, lit it on fire and burned him alive in front of everybody. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And it was that day that Polycarp was a testimony of what genuine faith looks like. A testimony of what genuine faith looked like. And like another early church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When you see genuine faith in believers' lives, it is going to affect those around you. This is important. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, it is going to change your life, it is going to affect you, and it is going to affect the people around you. Make no mistake. And if you go into a season of testing, It's not just all about you. It's for the proving of the genuineness of your faith so that other people can come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. How amazing. That is so, it's so heavy for me even still now because we get so, we get so bothered and and distracted with life and and who we are and, and how we present ourselves because we start to focus so much on the little K. We start to focus our, so much on the little P, like our plan for our life, our kingdom, what we're building, what we're doing. And God's like, I just want to use you for my glory so that other people can see genuine faith. You know, in the beginning when I was talking about how we want to be authentic, how we want to be genuine, I wasn't joking around. Like, I want to be genuine so that we can affect more people's lives. And it's, it's by our faith. So, so may that be our prayer. May that be the word that we get from the Lord today. It doesn't matter how many people we see, you know. It matters of, of how much we're moved by the Spirit of God to fulfill the calling that He has in our life in being that representation of Him on earth. Look, look at verse 11. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Churches. 
he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter uh, 20, 21 talks about the lake of fire, the second death. Uh, There's a, a, a truth in the Bible. You can either be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and die once. Those who are born twice and die once are those who are born physically, born spiritually, and die physically, and that's it. But those who are born physically, die physically, and die spiritually is, you know, it's the other case. He says the second death. What's the second death? I believe, without getting into too much definition, the second death is that, that separation from God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. If we really believe what we say we believe, if we really believe what we say we believe, how is it affecting our life today? How much can we identify with the church in Smyrna? How much can we identify with the church in Ephesus? How much are we going to be able to identify in the future with these other churches? And I believe that God wants to speak to his church by his spirit. God, give us ears to hear what you have to say. Amen? Father God, we pray in Jesus' name that we would be a genuine people, that we would be able to live openly, sharing our lives with people, even in difficulty through our lives, and we would be good representations or representatives, ambassadors of you, that we would in all things glorify you. We would not allow the authority of death to have any kind of power or control over us. So, Father, thank you for speaking to us by your Spirit. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for uplifting us. We pray, God, that we would go out this week in the power of your name as changed people that want to affect those around us. Bless my brothers and sisters, Father. Pour out your spirit in their lives. Empower them to go out in faith, in grace, in mercy, and in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.